Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's Wednesday, June 7th. Do you know who your pitching coach is? Let's talk about it here in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back to another midweek edition of the Doghouse. This is your host, David Murray, and we're brought to you by betonline.ag, where the game starts. We teased, of course, with the uh, baseball pitching coach selection, which we'll get to more later on down. But immediately, let's uh, kind of look back at the week that was, because a week ago at this time, we were publishing, knowing that the Southeastern Conference spring meetings were about to wrap up on Thursday. And we pretty much predicted that the SEC would go with a one-off schedule for 2024, that the decision to go to nine conference games would be again put on hold, certainly delayed for how long we're not certain, but at least for one year, and that the conference would stick with eight games, but not any permanent rotation just yet. Now, that would have been ideal from the Mississippi State point of angle. Go ahead and set the 1-7 rotation system, figure out who your opponents are, in every other alternating year, of course, with Ole Miss as your permanent, and just let it go from there. But the SEC did not get the muscle behind the nine-game proposal for a lot of reasons. We went over those last week of what the complications would be. Most obviously to national media, the lack of extra money coming from ESPN. By the way, we saw something last night on the business news about Disney taking a rather large, um, I'm talking about nine-figure write-off, on some deals they've done, so that can't be good for ESPN. If the parent company is, again, struggling in the financial regard, but ESPN was not going to come across with guaranteed more money for eight more conference games immediately. Now, eventually, I think they will, or certainly something will be worked out in that regard. As of right now, it wasn't clear enough this could be done in time, so the athletic directors of the conference recommended to their presidents that it all be put on hold for a year, that they come up with a temporary schedule for 2024. Again, some things that were planned will change. There'll be no divisions. It will be a one-off schedule. Certainly, there will be permanent opponents included in there, just uh, an understanding more than a policy. And the conference will name those teams on June 14th. They won't name the schedule until later in the summer. I guess this falls under the idea of never waste a manufactured crisis to create some PR material and keep the attention on your conference ahead of media days. But, hey, I'm not the one complaining. It's June. The Diamond Dogs aren't playing right now, and I can use the content. So I'll have something to cover in the middle of the month as far as Mississippi State's exact 2024 football schedule. But as we figured, it's going to be a one-off. And uh, some things we do know about it, of course, because it's just eight conference games and all four of the existing non-conference games will remain. Now, that's kind of a bummer in one way, because after this year, when all your four non-conference games are on campus, next year starts the home and home. Well, probably just going to be a away home type game for Arizona State, because I strongly suspect the mandate may be done away with by 2025. Regardless, Mississippi State will be going out to Arizona State in 2024, I believe the date is September 7th, and that's for the Power 5 mandate game. The other home conference games will be August 31st with Eastern Kentucky, September 14th with Utah State, which is a group of five, by the way, not a Power 5, and November 2, UMass. So we know that it'll be a one-off in that regard, and we'll get the full schedule, at least the opponents, middle of this month, and sometime later we'll get the specific schedule of when State is going to play those eight SEC opponents the four home and four away. 
and I believe I'm, I'd be pretty confident saying the Egg Bowl will be away because it's time for that to return. One of the questions being, of course, with the new rotation is, will the Egg Bowl stay in its Thursday night time slot as a year-to-year deal for ESPN? I'll get more into that as we go on, but first... Let's talk about our sponsor, Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your championship finals, info, stats, news, and scores. Yes, basketball still ongoing at the top level. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup playoffs, by the way. Uh, if you're keeping an eye on the frozen sport up there, Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider wagering needs. That includes not just basketball and hockey, but Major League Baseball, Ultimate Fighting, and Boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting information, including live options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get in on the action today. Head to the website or use your mobile device to join. And be sure to use the promo code BLEAV, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Well, as said, Mississippi State and all of the comfort schools will be awaiting news of what their 2024 schedules will be. I know there's a lot of angst about it, certainly in national media, who absolutely were convinced going into May that it would be a nine-game schedule, foregone conclusion to start in 2025 at the latest, probably 2024, in fact. And we also noted that it's easy for them to say because they don't have any skin in the game. Of course, they're paying the conference for this, but they want as many of those matchups as possible because they don't like showing uh, SEC teams playing the Abilene Christians and the Middle Tennessees of the world either. Well... I can't say that's prime viewing material myself, but I also have made it very clear that uh, it's in Mississippi State's favor to have the best possible chances of being bowl eligible. A lot of debating points to go along with that, as well as reminding, too, that um, I do agree a nine-game conference schedule makes your slate every other year when you have five home games a bit more attractive, depending on who those five are, of course. Remember, that's going to be alternating a whole lot more than before, so it's going to be kind of a wild system year to year of planning when a rivalry, a secondary or tertiary rivalry with, say, an Auburn or an LSU gets renewed compared to the permanent setup with Ole Miss. A lot to be discussed between now and then. Next spring meetings, we expect a resolution on this, especially after Disney ESPN's financial situation presumably clears up in that regard. But we know that 2024 will be settled and season tickets will be sold next year. As of this year, season ticket sales, we're told, are still going strong for the 2023 slate, and why shouldn't they, with eight home games? And Mississippi State, to my mind, did a great job keeping ticket prices down to fit in that extra game. Remember, this is the most home games ever for Bulldog football. That's two-thirds of your slate is being played at home. That's normal for most of the major SEC programs, but for Mississippi State, it's the exception. And I think this year, and maybe some of you can regard this as a challenge too, I think this year is going to be uh, maybe something of a, um, I'm not going to call it referendum directly, but a measuring point, an analytical data point for Mississippi State's administration as they judge not just ticket demand uh, for season ducats, but also individuals' ticket sales, which are made before the season starts and before they know what the matchups are, how good or not they may end up being after a few games are played. Other factors involved in that, and that will be applied in future years as to how state schedules, what it does with the stadium. Remember, there's a $10 million project about to start on the West Grandstand to spiff it up. Most of it will be 
what you would call the underpinnings of the stadium. That side has needed some work for a while. Remember, it was built way back when. And this is one way, though, to look at it and say, okay, for the future, do we need to add more seats? Do we need to stick to premium seats? Should Mississippi State expand the south end zone, whether for seating or for picnicking or some type, you know, maybe a football version left field lounge? All sorts of ideas been kicked around. It definitely will not be fully bowled in because there's no need for that many seats regardless. But if seating is to be added, how fans turn out for this season is going to be one of those data points. So keep that in mind if you're still on the fence about whether you're going to buy a ticket to this 2023 season or not. So it's, uh, like I said, a record eight home games and, of course, finishes up with an almost unprecedented, the only other example goes back to even before I was around, when Mississippi State wraps up a schedule, not just with two home games, but consecutively playing the two in-state opponents, Southern Mississippi, on the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and, of course, the battle for Golden Egg on Thanksgiving night. As I say, Mississippi State will be watching closely, analyzing the data, getting the turnouts, and using that as they make decisions moving ahead of what to do with Davis Wade Stadium or what not to do with Davis Wade Stadium. And, of course, some of that, too, will factor into how Mississippi State fans uh, do you translate your giving over to name, image, and likeness, the Bulldog Initiative? And, uh, by the way, great job by Charlie Winfield and his team. They're really making some moves lately, uh, getting gaining steam as far as promoting this outlet for fans to directly support Bulldog retention and, wink, wink, nod, nod, recruiting of student-athletes as well. But then how that factors in the Bulldog Club donations, which still remain the core of the athletic operations, all sorts of things. So... It's nothing is really clear-cut in that regard, and I don't envy new athletic director Zach Selman as he still continues. Uh, The phrase I was told back in spring was trying to drink from a fire hose because so much is coming his way, the result of being brand new to this situation, having no background, not just at Mississippi State, but the Southeastern Conference period. But he seems like a fellow who's learning fast and on his feet. By the way, speaking of this season, you have seen the kickoff times for the first three September games announced. Uh, 3 o'clock for Southeastern Louisiana, 6.30 for Arizona, both on the SEC Network, and 11 a.m. for LSU. I know, the whales and the woe over that news about a morning start for the Tigers, and nope, that's not ideal for anyone except, obviously, ESPN. Do keep that in mind. This decision was made by the network, not by Mississippi State's administration. Uh, The football office, the campus administration, everybody who wants to sell a ticket, sell a parking place, sell concessions, absolutely they wanted a late afternoon or even evening kickoff to play the SEC rival Tigers, who, by the way, should be the favorites for the SEC Western Division in this last year of divisional format. However, ESPN made the call. It will be a national broadcast, but it will be a morning. Maybe the only consolation I can find in that is that um, there's at least some evidence that historically the Tigers are rather late risers or rousers, however you want to phrase it there. So maybe if Mississippi State shows up at the stadium readier to play, it could be an advantage. Uh, Then again, maybe not because, as we've often discussed uh, in Dogs Bite and Gene Space others, that most football coaches are pretty clear. They actually like morning kickoffs if you're the road team. It means you get there on Friday, get your team settled in, get them up in the morning, play ball, and go home. Nobody likes 
the morning kickoff is the home team. So it's less than ideal, but that's the deck that State and LSU in their own way have also been handled. So turn up for the game anyway. State ought to be 2-0 going into it. LSU, as I said, will be a division favorite, probably certainly top 10 in the country, maybe even top five ranking, depending on what they do in their first couple of games, particularly their opener, Florida State. So if it has to be a morning kick, well, just set an early wake-up call and get to the campus, then get in the stadium and be ready for morning football. Of course, the last two games, as I mentioned, Southern Miss and Ole Miss, those times have already been set as well. And the rest of the schedule will be in this internally annoying SEC system of their two-week announcement window, something, by the way, which the conference is looking to get away from once they go to a new scheduling system. Way overdue. Hey, word up to me. Why not go ahead and name all the times, at least for the first half of the season in summer? You can do the whole season. I mean, crap, they do it for basketball. They do it for baseball. All those game times are set way in advance. I know you sit there and think, well, you want the flexibility in the networks, which I say networks, network now that it's just ESPN slash Disney. Of course, the SEC network is part of that, doing the times. They can pretty well figure out who they want when, even months in advance. That would do the fans a world of good because then you could start planning. Oh, and by the way, 3 o'clock southeast Louisiana. As a Jones County farm boy, I can say that gives you plenty of time to go out and slaughter all the dove you can that morning and still get to Scott Field in time for kickoff in the afternoon. I know football scheduling, that will be a continuing topic on through the summer, especially around the mid-June. We're just a week away from that announcement, so we'll be have much more to talk about then. As far as what's happening on campus right now, football, well, Zach Arnett and staff, they've already had two of their five June camp rounds, all of them, by the way, for ninth graders and on up. And this week will be, I see, Saturday is the third one. It's a specialist camp, though, kickers, uh, punters and return people, and that's something Mississippi State's pretty darn good at already. I mean, hey, who wouldn't want to come to a camp at a place that has Xavier Thomas and Tulu Griffin returning kicks there? I think you could learn a little bit from those guys, don't you reckon? Anyway, there'll be more elite camps on June 15th and 17th, and Arnett is certainly taking advantage of his camp process already this month. I recall seeing some angst on the message board, Shocker, like there's ever not a time there isn't angst on our message boards, especially about recruiting. Well, the momentum has picked up as of today with the latest announcement. There are nine commitments already. I repeat, commitments, a lot can happen between now and December signing day, and a lot will happen between now and December signing day. But still having nine uh, in what, how do you say, in the boat? I don't know why we use in the boat in Starkville, Mississippi. Um being a farm boy and come up with a couple other things like in the barn or whatever, but maybe some don't. Okay, I'm rambling. But nine committed already, and just looking at it on the top, it's a pretty across-the-board group already on offense, and only a running back is missing from it, and right now that just can't be particularly burning priority. State's in pretty good shape at running back for now in the future already. But you can't have enough linemen. And boy, is it encouraging for me to see the two high school tackles already on the list. Now you're starting to add up wide receivers. You've got a couple of true wide receivers, one listed as a general athlete, but I expect he's coming here looking to catch passes and a real tight end committed, a quarterback already in the list as well. So 
for a former defensive coordinator turned head coach. You can see that uh, Zach Arnett and new coordinator Kevin Barbet are off to a flying start, getting their recruiting needs filled on the offensive side of the ball. The defense is taking shape a little bit slower. Uh, we've got a lineman so far, a linebacker, and uh, that's about it. I imagine as things go on, they'll be picking up more of those guys, but you make the splash by getting the skill position guys in, and particularly in summer because that's where you can see these guys show their skills out in camp, run around, throw, catch, all sorts of uh, physical things happening. Linemen, a little harder to gauge um, until you get them in the weight room and maybe do some specific drills to those guys. But, of course, as has often been said but always needs to be reminded, good offensive linemen, particularly tackles, are a rare commodity now, maybe even more precious than a good quarterback. Not a great quarterback, but good linemen outvalue a good quarterback at this level. If you can keep those linemen coming in, offensive and, for that matter, defensive linemen, then you're going to have a solid recruiting class. And Zach Arnett and his staff absolutely have their priorities set. Keep the muscle coming to Mississippi State. As far as transfers, well, State would love to pick up another lineman and probably a defensive back and receiver in the transfer portal. I believe they have two places to spread among those at this point. Nobody's come in yet. And remember, if you were in the transfer portal before it closed back in May, you're still good. What was it, May 15th? Yeah, you're still good to sign on through, through summer. You just have to have been in it before the portal shut down. What I can tell or judge, of course, talking with Steve Robertson, who's um, been covering recruiting at the camps along with Paul Jones, is that State's not just looking for bodies to clutter up the roster, especially with a new coaching staff largely. Uh, why do that? Why complicate things any more unnecessarily? If they think the guy can play, they're going to try to get him. If they don't think it will be better than what you already have or what you're already developing, then pass. Don't don't tie up that grant, particularly the transfer, who then would have to, if he wanted to transfer again, have to sit out a year wherever he went. So you're kind of stuck with that transfer the second time, guys. So I think State's wise in taking that approach. And as Arnett has made clear, I talked to him about it uh, back in spring. He made sure that for all the talk we give about the portal, and boy, do we ever talk about the portal, the core to Mississippi State recruiting is and must always remain high school prospects, the guys you get in camp, the guys you can develop, develop not just physically and skill-wise, but relationships with that, that add up back at their old schools with their high school coaches who see well, how well they're treated by the staff. Those things matter. So State's going to focus continued on the high school to build the core of the roster, then be selective about what they're doing. And does that parlay into NIL? Absolutely it does. The state's NIL situation, and Charlie's not going to give out any specific numbers as far as cash or such, nor should he. I know some fans would love to know, and you hear all the talk from these players around the country, well, he got this, or they're supposed to got that. Most of it's not true, sometimes not even remotely half true, but still, there's the curiosity factor. But what we do know is that Mississippi State, must be specific. They must target their transfers. They can't go out and cast a wholesale NIL net, uh, however you want to do it. And I know schools aren't supposed to do this themselves, but as we all understand, it's happening. It's going to continue to happen. The NCAA is a toothless tiger in this regard. I'm a little concerned that um, 
Mississippi State and other schools were up there, and the conferences were in Washington this week. Maybe I could spend a fair chunk of a show venting about why that is a terrible idea, trying to get Washington involved in NIL, because the law of unintended consequences really comes up fast when you have lawmakers getting involved. Uh, That's a topic for another day. For now, though, Mississippi State, as I said, will be specific in how it uses the portal, pick up guys who can help, particularly with this team, in the areas they need help. Fortunately, there's not a ton of areas you really need help this year. State's in good shape. The offense in particular with a veteran offensive line, veteran quarterback, veteran receivers, veteran running backs, veteran everything. It's developing guys for the future that will become the concern now with recruiting. You're starting to work on those 24, 25, 26 rosters if you haven't already, and the portal's not going to help you a whole lot there. That's where you still have to focus it on these camps and high school recruiting. At least that's how I see it. Your mileage may vary. Oh, by the way, uh, Mississippi State, has, besides not picking up any transfers recently, there haven't been any big news on Bulldogs leaving, except that uh, two of the most recents who did leave, they have found new homes at Georgia Tech and Penn State, respectively. Now that brings, by my count, six former Bulldogs who've now signed on with power conference programs. Maybe it's a feeble consolation to try to mute the sour grapes a little bit, although I will say I don't think State lost much of anybody with maybe one exception to the portal. Uh, obviously, Rara Thomas, you'd like to have him back instead of playing at Georgia now. Otherwise, I, I just don't think State lost a whole lot besides depth in the portal this year. But think about it, six of those guys are going to go to major conference roster spots, Power 5 conferences. What does that say about state's recruiting in recent years? That the guys who are leaving here aren't necessarily taking a step down, they're just stepping across in the conferences. Maybe that's worth a separate story as the portal further develops in the summer that uh, maybe Mike Leach and his coaches recruited a little bit better than we appreciate because his guys are finding homes at major programs out there. Well, that's kind of our football talking today. Again, camps, um, let's see, the 15th and 17th, and then they're wrapped up for the summer. And then maybe Zach Arnett and staff can take a break. Of course, SEC Media Days, a state's turn, is July 18th, and we'll be in Nashville there. Uh, who else is on the roster that day? Well, certainly Kirby Smart of two-time defending national champions Georgia will draw most of the attention. A certain former coach at the University of Mississippi who is now working for John Cohen at Auburn will be there that same day. And Lord, do I hope that Mississippi State is not paired with Auburn in its session. Rather be paired with Vanderbilt. Clark Lee has got the draw along with Zach Garnett, but the SEC has not said who gets the morning and who gets the afternoon sessions just yet. They leave us dangling for another week or so so they can again put out their little news bump. So love to know, and we'll be there regardless. But the idea of trying to share a st- <laughs> the idea of Zach Garnett sharing the session with Hugh Freeze. Is something I'd really rather not consider at this point. All right, what we are considering, we talked about it early on. Who is Mississippi State's pitching coach going to be? Well, the fact that Mississippi State cares about a pitching coach is keeping the pot boiling for Bulldog baseball here, and maybe in a lot of places in the country they don't worry about such things. Boy, do we hear, and rightly so, because this is a make-or-break sort of hire for Chris Lamonis. You know, Zach, uh, Scott Foxhole was let go 
on the 1st of May before the state had three more series left to play. So now he's had plenty of time to work on who he wants and make contact. And uh, all the major candidates that he would be looking at, at least the ones we know of on our list, I think maybe one of them is still involved with an active team at this point. It's been conceded that certainly since last week, as soon as Oklahoma State was limited from their own regional that Rob Walton, pitching coach there for the last 11 years, was going to be Mississippi State's top candidate, or at least perceived to be the top candidate. Only Chris Lamonis knows who his pecking order is and has he even offered the job to Rob Walton yet. Of course I've got a story ready just in case. But they're playing the waiting game on that. Uh, why keep waiting? Well, that's a good question because the season's over for both teams. And, of course, the transfer portal opened up a week ago Monday and rolls on through July 13th. So it would seem to be in Mississippi State's obvious interest to get that pitching coach position settled down because right now, even though State hasn't taken some serious losses in the portal yet, and, in fact, they picked up a player, the left-hander Nate Lamb from, and, yes, I had to look it up myself as well, Young Harris College, you're bringing in a pitcher without him knowing who the pitching coach is, so that's an encouraging sign. But on the whole, you would think that uh, current pitchers who might be looking at the draft or might be looking at transfer, uh, more transfer pitchers out there available who might be looking at Mississippi State, and, of course, the recruited pitchers who really want to know, uh, when I show up in August, who's going to be my pitching coach? Who's going to be working with me? I'd like to know right now, especially if I'm of draftable quality. It would behoove the Bulldogs to go ahead and name somebody, but Chris Lamonis is not pushing the pace, and we'll just see if it indeed is Rob Walton. Of course, the name of Rob Childress is also cropped up now. Steve Robertson reporting on that, the former Texas A&M coach who moved to Nebraska after being let go from Aggie Land in 2021. He went back to Nebraska where he had been coaching years before when Dave Van Horn was the boss of Nebraska. And by the way, the Bulldogs played those teams in a couple of regionals that I was covering back in the day. And now he's available on the market and would probably be very interested in getting back in the Southeastern Conference himself were he to be offered. Age? Well, they're both, neither one of them are spring chickens as far as you go, but do I have a preference? Eh. I like Walton's resume. I like what he's done at a tough year this past year. But honestly, what pitching coach didn't, with the exception of Wake Forest guy? And would he be somebody State would pursue? Absolutely, Corey Mascara. But you got to think he's on the fast track somewhere to be a head coach, especially if Wake Forest rolls on and is able to pull off a championship. I mean, keep in mind, Alabama has not named their head coach yet, so they're still looking out there. Will they promote their guy? And if they don't, Jason Jackson, he is a candidate for pitching coach at Mississippi State as well, I would think. So some things are still in play. We don't know what Lamonis is thinking. He's keeping this very close because this is kind of key to his remaining career at Mississippi State, whatever that may be. Get the right coach, get the pitching staff healthy and tuned up again because offense was not really State's problem this past year. You're going to have a good offensive staff coming back next year as well. By the way, congratulations to Dakota Jordan for getting invited to the Team USA camp. He's one of 56 candidates for the 26-man roster. And should he make that roster at the end of June games, um, I might find a way to 
you know, ramble on over to Cary, North Carolina, like I did in 2020 when I interviewed uh, C. Tanner Allen and um, Justin Foscue, I believe, were there. Talked to both of them, and uh, hey, that worked out well. Uh, the next year for um, for Mississippi State as far as their team, I, no, it couldn't have been Foscue. No. See, memory already starting to slip. It's only been that long. So, by the way, having been to the Team USA training facility is excellent. They play good quality opposition, have good turnout for fans. If you're free this summer, even if Dakota's not on the roster, I'd, I'd, I would hardly recommend making a trip over to Cary just to catch Team USA in action before they start hosting the games with the teams from Japan and China as well. All right, so what else about baseball is going on right now? Besides the fact they're not playing, and yes, it was frustrating. Uh, I rubbed a few feathers wrongly when I said last Friday that, and this is strictly for me, that the opening Friday of NCAA regional time is the best sports day of the year. That's just for me. Your mileage may vary. Some like the basketball and some like, you know, particularly big football games. I get it. Been there myself, and uh, I will agree. Nothing compares individually to a great big showdown football game especially on your own campus but as far as a great day for sports the NCAA regionals is unique to me but mostly so when Mississippi State plays well they weren't playing so it stunk still watched it and I still enjoyed it a lot of wild things happening this year and this has been a wild year in general uh, for reasons often discussed the fact that we're still seeing the COVID seniors and super seniors out there who didn't go in the draft, aren't playing pro ball, still playing college, and beating up on college pitching, which has been overmatched this season badly by offenses. Another reason why I don't think I would use 2023 results too much against any pitching coach candidate out there. Regardless, State's not playing, it stinks, but when State was playing, they confirmed this week that uh, Duty Noble Field was the national leader this season for average attendance. Yes, yes, I know. This is built upon the paid attendance core. This is how a stadium can be one quarter unused at a game. I did not say empty. I just said a quarter of it not used and still book it as a five-figure crowd. State does it. LSU does it. Ole Miss does it. Everybody does it. Maybe there was a time that I've gotten a little picky about such things. Well, in fact, there was a time I was picky about such things. No more. I made my peace with this years ago, and the reality is that those seats are paid for, and the fans are there certainly in spirit, definitely in finance, and that counts almost as much as them being present in the seats. So Mississippi State legitimately led the nation for the regular season in paid attendance. I I guess with hosting Super Regionals, LSU will probably end up with a higher overall average. That's fine. Mississippi State is still there. The, The reason I bring this up, Besides the fact that it's another bragging point for the program. The larger point is what it means for this Mississippi State program's continued health. Maybe not good health as far as these past two seasons' records and results have been. But then again, Mississippi State has been here before and bounced back. And bounced back big. I'm working on a piece on Gene's page right now. I've had two uh, parts already shown uh, yesterday and today, parts three and four still to come. It's on the biggest base hits of the 2011 through 2021 seasons. That's 10 seasons over 11 years because 2020 shut down. And it's been fun writing. I recalled most of them off the top of my head, of course, but then just to be sure, I went back and found a few others that, oh, yeah, 
oh yeah, I need to remember this. Oh, how could I possibly miss this one? Like the uh, walk-off single by Gunnar Halter in the 2019 SEC tournament. Uh, that could be excused for getting it because they're still in a daze over that 17-inning <laughs> affair, which ending about 2.30 in the morning. But still, I picked those out, and I'm doing it chronologically. You can still find uh, the seasons 11, 12, and 13 the first day. Today covers the middle years there. Some big hits that you may recall. Uh, Luke Alexander's home run against Ole Miss in 2018. Or maybe you don't recall, like Brent Brownlee's single against Southern Mississippi in the 2011 Georgia Tech Regional. The regional which, in fact, kind of kick-started what, by my count, is the best 10-season stretch in Bulldog history. You can argue that the 80s, or 79 through 90, let's say, was at least as big. And conference-wise, yes, State had many more SEC championships, partly because of the tournament championship format and other things, but not at quite the same national impact as 2011 and 21 did. So either way, there were great stretches, and I'm enjoying writing about that. But keep in mind, that golden age of 11 to 21 came immediately, and I do mean immediately, after three bad lost seasons, 2008, 2009, 2010. Those were bad years, almost hopeless years. So State bounced back, and boy did they ever, with arguably, let's say, the best stretch in program history. Now, there are a lot of reasons why Bulldog baseball did bounce back. The right coaches, the better recruiting, better development, less injuries, luck, all sorts of things like that are on the list. But it is built on a foundation of support, proven by crowd counts, by seats sold, whatever the seasoned results, before and during. The fact that fans keep showing up, that is got to be. If not the biggest reason, then certainly right there at the top reason why Bulldog baseball continues to thrive, good times, bad times, in different times. What I'm saying is, as long as Mississippi State has this foundation, Bulldog baseball can, it will, and it should return to expected form because we care. And when people are showing up after a really bad 2022, for a 2023, which began almost in some ways worse, uh, maybe got a little better than the previous year, but still not good, but the fans kept turning out. When the message boards are still lit up with posts about who's going to be the pitching coach, what state going to do in the portal, uh, who are these players, what players do we need to move on, how do you replace them? When you have that going on on the field or around the field and off the field as well, this sort of attention – whether it's ticket sold or message boards involved, reminds Mississippi State people care about baseball, and that's why the program will come back. If you ever lose that, well, you're not going to lose it. I can stop right there. Mississippi State is not going to lose that because, again, we care. It still is a matter of amusement or confusion to many outside the program, even around the SEC, it's still kind of a, wow, y'all really do care about baseball down there. Hell yeah, we do. And that's why we take such pride in it. And I know there are people on the boards and out in the fan base convinced that maybe this passion for baseball comes at the expense of the other sports. I'm not going to argue that point right now other than to say, 
most baseball fans that I know of, certainly in talking 90% range, equally care about football, maybe not quite as many for basketball, but then you can't care about everything financially. They certainly watch the games, so they still support the program. But we all have a special place in the heart for Bulldog baseball, not just because of its past, even in fact because of its present. Bulldog fans care about baseball, and that's why Mississippi State will get it right. And if it's not this coach, if it's not this athletic director, somebody will be brought in to get it right because, again, we care. And that's what I'm just, that's why I'm building up off this otherwise normal announcement about being a national attendance leader. It's not just a meaningless little point of bragging, it matters, it shows we care. And we care about you, the Bulldog fan, which is why we do this doghouse this week. What's coming up, as I said, uh, specialist camp football this weekend, and uh, probably more recruiting news coming in through the days as Steve and Paul keep an idea on the commitments. You can check that out on Gene's page 24-7 as well. We're writing our series, of course, on Biggest Hits. I'll be working more on future SEC scheduling. Of course, it's a week from today when the big announcement comes out about the specific opponents that State will play in 2024 and some opinions on why they held at eight games instead of nine. Some of them expressed here, some that have uh, occurred to me ever since the decision was, well, I was picked to say made, but more like a decision was not made or made not to make at this point. The SEC, it just means more time before they make this call about a permanent schedule system, and we'll have a lot to say about that when it happens. Uh, For that matter, a lot to say before it happens. But that's what we do here in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, David Murray. I appreciate you tuning in today. Stay with us the rest of the summer. We'll be still on a weekly schedule, or as such big news comes out, like I said, a week from today is the scheduling, so you can count on a podcast about that next week as well, and any other events going on. I put in our plug for our co-workers on Gene's page 24-7. Check out their work on recruiting. Of course, keep an eye on the basketball board with Chris Jans. I believe five of his players have already reported to campus for summer school, and there are two who are simply awaiting NCAA clearance to come on in, including some uh, high-profile transfers as well. And I was asking a radio show about uh, was Jans the one doing the best job in the transfer portal, and I shot back and said, oh, no, Sam Purcell. Look what he's done with the Lady Bulldogs for the transfer portal. I've seen him ranked as high as second in the country as far as the best transfer class. I don't like the transfer portal. I don't like the one-year free to transfer. I don't like NIL, but it's reality. Mississippi State's going to play that game. And right now in Humphrey Coliseum, both coaches are playing it rather well. We see the results of Bulldog football recruiting taking an uptick this past week. And once the pitching coach situation settles down, we'll have some good news about what's happening with the Diamond Dog roster for 2024 and beyond. Well, that's our podcast today. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, keep an eye on our sponsor, betonline.ag, where the game starts. And uh, even if we're not playing this weekend, let's watch some NCAA Super Regional Baseball and think about the good times that were for Bulldogs and the good times that will be coming back. You can count on it because we care. This is David Murray saying thanks again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.